one more time. You're doing well. Let's sing it one more time.
Y'all are getting really good at singing these. I, I'm kind of blessed. I have surround sound. I have people singing behind me. I have instruments beside me. I listen to y'all. Sometimes I just stop. I just listen to you lift up your voices and what a blessing. Samson, if you've got your Bible, turn one more time to Judges 16. We've spent many weeks studying Samson, uh, but I still think we haven't figured him out yet. Uh, Samson's one of those interesting characters. He's an enigma. Um, he's a man who appears in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, and yet you wouldn't want your son or daughter spending much time with Samson in all reality. Um, he's one of those just characters we can't quite get down. He's often led by lust and passion rather than by righteousness and holiness. Um, he has a tremendous weakness for pretty women, and that weakness has cost him dearly. And today we're going to look at the last scene of his earthly life. Um, he's in a pagan temple. He's not there by choice, uh, per se. He's there by force. Um, he's a prisoner of the Philistines, and they are having a heyday with Samson. Uh, the once mighty Samson um, is groping along here in defeat in many ways. As we look at Samson at this very last scene from his life, and we're going to be looking at the end of uh, Judges chapter 16, uh, I want to note three things about him today. I want you to notice, first of all, in this particular scene, and, and we're thinking about over his entire 
um, life that we've studied together. But in this particular scene, I want you to notice that he is a broken man. He's a broken man. I, I want to begin reading there in Judges 16, beginning at verse 23. It says, Now the Lord of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god, little g, so a false god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has delivered into our hands Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their god. For they said, Our god has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when their hearts were merry when they got enough alcohol in them, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them, and they stationed him between the pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them." Now, when you look at this, you might be wondering if you haven't been with us throughout the entire study or you weren't with us last week, why is a lad leading about mighty Samson? Well, the answer is because Samson at this point is blind. Uh, They called him in Delilah's room there. They gouged out his eyes. Uh, They bound him and they took him off uh, to prison to to grind away uh, day by day. And now here he is, the mighty Samson, a joke to the Philistines. Notice that the Philistines here are having really a a worship service for their false god, Dagon. And they give Dagon credit uh, for Samson, for their getting Samson. In fact, how horrible to read in verse number 24 that that when they saw Samson, they praised their false god, Dagon. See, Samson had lived in such a compromising way, giving in to his passion, giving in to sin, giving in to temptation, that he's been led to this point in his life. And the Philistines are drinking away, and they're having a wonderful time here, and they call for Samson, and they want Samson to perform for them. And so they make a fool out of Samson. Uh, They laugh, they jeer, they mock, uh, they praise their false god. What a sad scene here. Here is Samson, the one who was a Nazarite from his mother's womb, the one who was a judge of God's people, the one who was going to be a deliverer to begin to deliver God's people, the one who should have been a picture of righteousness and holiness. But here he is, a broken man. But the good news is that brokenness brings him to a very important part or a very important point of his life. So I want you to notice he goes here from a broken man to become a praying man, a praying man. We don't know how much he prayed during his days of freedom, We only have two recorded prayers of Samson uh, here in the book of Judges, and here is one of them today we're going to read. But after having that lad uh, who was leading him around place him at the pillars, um, notice what it says in verse 27 and 28. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. About 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. You're talking about a tremendous amount of people. The Philistines' lords, their, their leaders, men and women, about 3,000 of them there and they're worshiping their false god and they're mocking Samson. And they're just having a tremendous time. And then it says in verse 28, Then Samson called to the Lord. So here we have a prayer from Samson saying, 
O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines from my two eyes. I want you to notice how Samson began his prayer here. He began it simply by saying, O Lord God, remember me. Remember me. That's the cry of a broken man. That's the cry of a broken person. Remember me. You ever been there? Ever been there? I mean, you've really messed up. You've sinned. You've gotten yourself in a big mess. And you turn to the Lord and in humility, you simply cry out, Oh Lord, remember me. Do not forget me. I think Samson had already talked to the Lord quite a bit during those dark days of grinding away in the prison. Uh, In fact, it says in verse 22 that his hair began to grow, and I believe that as his hair began to grow, so did his relationship with the Lord. You know, Samson's someone that we can relate to in in many ways, I think, at least a little bit. Um, He messed up, and so do we. You know, sometimes we read these Bible character stories, and we're just kind of like... Wow, you know, we just make, it makes us feel about that tall. But then we look at Samson and we say, well, this is a fellow we can relate to because he's constantly messing up. He's constantly doing wrong. He's constantly failing. And, and, and we do the same thing. I, I like what uh, Gary Enrig wrote about Samson. He said, the spiritually successful Christian, and I think we all want to be that, the spiritually successful Christian is not the person who never fails, but the believer who learns how to accept God's remedy for failure. And so successful Christian living is really beginning again over and over again as God has told us to do. None of us are perfect. We all fumble. We all fail. We all sin. Even those who might label the best Christians, whatever that means. All of us, we fumble. We fail. We make mistakes. We sin. We give into temptation. And thanks be to God that He is the God of the second chance and the third chance. And the fourth chance. And the sixteenth chance. God is so patient and God is so loving and God is so kind. And maybe you feel like in your Christian life it's just a constant battle. And by the way, the Christian life is a battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. And much of what we may be surprised that we deal with in our Christian life is actually normal Christian living. Badly temptation, sometimes failing, confessing, getting up, forsaking that sin, going on with God. And Samson's life here um, is is truly uh, a remarkable thing to see the patience and grace that God deals with Samson. And the same is true for you and me. God's patience is so wonderful. His grace is so remarkable when you look at Samson. You know, sometimes in your Christian life when you fail and and maybe it's a particular area or some besetting sin and, and you just seem like you just can't get victory over it, if you're honest, sometimes you might think this way, well, if I was God, I would just give up on me. Well, thankfully, you and I, we're not God because God is loving and gracious and kind and long-suffering with us. He doesn't give up on us. In fact, Philippians says He will complete that which He's begun in us. He's working in us day by day. He's teaching us lessons. He's, he's making us like Jesus. And He gives us another chance. God didn't leave Samson. He's not done with Samson. 
I mean, yes, He removed His presence and His, His power from Him and He's put Himself in this place, but God didn't just wash His hands of Samson. God is not done with him. Now, there are some things that God did not restore. Samson never got his sight back. Um, he never was free again from this point. He was not really judging or ruling in the people, if you will. He lost a lot, but God was gracious here. And when we sin, and notice I said when we sin. Now, I'm talking to believers now. When we sin, we do fail. We're to do what the Bible says. In fact, if you've never marked this verse in your Bible or never memorized it, uh, it's a very important verse for the Christian. It's 1 John 1, 9. And 1 John 1, 9, he's talking to believers there. says, if we confess our sins, and to confess means to agree with God, to say, yes, this is a sin. If we confess our sin, He, that is God, is faithful, and He's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, you've got to remember as a believer, the moment that we trusted Jesus Christ, the moment we were at the foot of the cross, all of our sin was forgiven past, present, and future. All of our sin. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet, we as believers, we still sin. She said, well, preacher, why does it say then to believers to confess our sin and, and ask forgiveness of our sin if we're already forgiven? We're talking about two different types of forgiveness here. See, at the cross, judicially, we were forgiven past, present, and future. God, as our judge said, innocent, give Him Christ's righteousness. None of that's held against us. So that is judicial forgiveness. All of our sin, forgiven. And they were what? We're placed into the family of God. And now as a member of the family, as a son or daughter of God, we mess up and we sin. Now that doesn't send us to hell. That sin's been forgiven at the cross judicially. But now we're talking about parental forgiveness. We're coming as children to a father because we have messed up. And our fellowship with the Father is messed up because of what we've done. And we come to the Father and we confess our sin. We get it right so we're put back into a right fellowship with God. Just as with your children. There's nothing they can do. I'm convinced of it. I know all of you, I think, well, I can know nothing they could do where you'd wash your hands of your child and say, you're no longer my son. You're no longer my daughter. None of us would do that. But as a parent with a child... There's some things they could do that will mess up the fellowship of the house. <laughs> right? And the fellowship has to be restored. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The parental forgiveness of God. Judicially, we're forgiven forever at the cross. But this is parental forgiveness. I just wanted to throw that in in case some were struggling with that. I think Samson had settled that. I think he'd gotten right with the Lord. I mean, he had a lot of time to do that as he's there bound and blind and grinding away and his hair begins to grow. A reminder of his vow, his Nazarite vow, being set apart for God. And here he is. I believe he's, he's gotten that straight. But now he prays one last time to God. And he says, Oh Lord God, remember me. And he asks God specifically for strength one more time. Now, is Samson perfect in this? No. In fact, if you look at his prayer, it, it's marred in a sense because he, he kind of prays for vengeance. Did you notice that? Strengthen me so I can get them back from my two eyes. Samson's a slow learner in many regards. You, you ever relate to that? 
And so it's kind of marred, the request itself, but God still answers the request. Why? Because this is God's plan for Samson. Remember way back when he was being announced to the parents that he's going to be born, it was God's plan that Samson was going to judge God's people and to begin to deliver them from the Philistines. And so this prayer, in, it, it lines up with God's will for Samson. He might deliver God's people from the Philistines, from their enemy. So you have a broken man, you have a praying man, and then here in this final scene you have a dying man. A dying man. I want you to pick up the story there, verse 29. Now all of us, we think about Samson, we think about this. Especially if you grew up in Sunday school, you think about Samson, you may remember the picture. And of course, you know, it was a he-man back then you know, doing this, but we've already talked about the fact he may not have looked that way. We don't know exactly. But here is that famous portion of Samson's life we often think about, beginning at verse 29. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. And then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines! And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Verse 31 says, And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Ashtael in the tomb of his father Manoah. He had judged Israel 20 years. Now when you see Samson here, this is not what anyone pictured when we were first introduced to Samson back in Judges chapter 13. Remember in Judges 13, Samson's the promised baby. He was going to be a Nazarite from his mother's womb. In fact, his mother was to abide by the Nazarite vows even while he was in her womb. He was going to judge God's people. He was going to begin to deliver God's people. So much potential, so much promise, so many advantages. And now it comes down to this. Well, yes, it does. Samson pushes with all of his might, with God's help, and he kills more Philistines at his death than he does during his life, his 20 years of judging the people. Now, in case you're wondering, no, I don't believe this was a suicide. Because only God could have given him this much strength. Samson could not have done this on his own. When I look at this, I, I, I kind of look at the situation where he kind of left the matter up to the Lord. He prayed, remember me, give me this strength, and he goes about. But only God could strengthen him. And by the way, this is more like the death of a soldier at battle dying for a greater cause. Like a soldier who might would lay down his life for his people, for his nation. Here we have Samson giving up his life to deliver the people from the Philistines, to help free God's people from Philistine bondage. Now imagine the scene that day. The horror on the faces of these pagan worshipers as the building began to shake, as the roof began to topple, as their world began to crumble literally around them, as people are screaming and crying out, and those on the roof begin to fall down, and the building begins to crumble down upon itself. In a matter of moments, these people, it says 3,000 of them, they were ushered into eternity. 
You know, this reminds me in our world as believers, it seems right now that the pagans are winning. That is those who hate God even. They are laughing, they are jeering, they are mocking, they are blaspheming the name of our God. But the reality is, beloved, that there's one who is mightier than Samson who's already claimed the victory. He's already claimed the victory. Jesus Christ has already defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. He's already defeated the enemy. We have a defeated foe. We fight from victory, not for victory. Never forget that as a believer. The battle's already been won. It's already been won. And one day, the one who is mightier than Samson, the Lord Jesus Himself, is going to topple all the evil, all the wicked, all the temples and shrines of this world. He's going to defeat them ultimately. That is, finally, they're already defeated, but finally they'll be done away with. In fact, the Bible says He's going to do away with this world. This old world as we know it will be no more. He's going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. And only those who know Him will be allowed in this place. Now, now think about this. These people were there that day and they were mocking and jeering and worshiping their false god and drinking and doing all these things. And in a matter of seconds, they were ushered into eternity and they were not ready. The Bible is very clear and we believe the Bible. As horrible as to think about, there is a place, the lake of fire, referred to as hell, where those who reject Jesus Christ as Savior will spend an eternity. And so it's vital that we're prepared to leave this place. Why is it that we as humans seem to think that we're going to last forever? Just We, we live that way sometimes. We, we, we do all sorts of things. We try to make ourselves secure and stable and prepare. And yet the reality is one out of one dies. Everybody faces death. There's only been a couple of exceptions throughout history as we look in the Bible. And then, of course, even Jesus Himself, He faced death and was resurrected. But death is not the end. Death is simply, if you will, a gateway into eternity. And there's only two places you're going to spend eternity. Either heaven and a glorious place with God or a place called hell, which is a horrible place with the devil. And if you want to go to hell, just do nothing. Just do what you've always done. Because the Bible says that someone who does not know Christ is already condemned. Because they're sinners by choice and sinners by nature. All of us are. But if you want to go to heaven, there's only one way to go, and that's through Jesus. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now here's the glorious thing. The heart of God is such that He did not want us to go to hell. His Bible says He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He loves us so much He gave Christ to die in our place and shed His precious blood and be buried and rise again victorious. And all we have to do is believe and trust to turn from our sin and place our faith in Him. And He forgives us our sin, gives us a home in heaven and eternity with Him. Joy, peace, all of these things are ours for the asking. But you have to personally trust Jesus Christ. These people were not ready. Are you ready? Are you ready should death come? Think about it. Very seldom do we get a, a warning. You know, a note comes to the door, you know, we get a letter, hey, by the way, be ready Thursday at 4 o'clock, you're going to die. Often it's sudden, sometimes it's unexpected. You've got to be ready, got to be ready.
you're not ready, trust Christ today. Now, Christians, let's just be honest about it. What do we do with Samson? What do we do with him? Um, he's the hero of the faith, Hebrews 11. I think it's verse 32. Time would fail to sell of Samson and Barak and Jephthah and them. And yet, you're not taking this and going to your little boy's room at night and saying, now here's how you want to live your life, Johnny, right here. Just look right here. We don't turn to Samson. We might go look at Daniel or Joseph or somebody, but not Samson. So what do we do with Samson? Well, we learn from him. We learn from him. We've shared lessons throughout the series, and if you've missed any of them, you can go back and get them um, on, on the podcast. But as I was wrapping up this study, I thought we need to narrow this down to just some takeaway lessons. What are, what are some things we could take away from Samson's life? And I narrowed them down to three lessons we can take away. And I want to give you these three lessons, and then we'll be done. Three lessons. We could give you others, but these are three that just the Lord led me to share with you. First of all, the first lesson we need to take away from his life is this. Don't trifle with holy things. Don't play around with holy things. I think all throughout Samson's life, we see him doing that with his Nazarite vow. Remember the Nazarite vow was all about being separated unto God, and it basically was um, no grapes, no haircuts, and no dead bodies. That, that's kind of the summary of the Nazarite vow. And yet we find that it, it appears that he broke every area of the Nazarite vow. The hair held on the longest, but even it surrendered eventually to Delilah and her evil companions. We too can be guilty of trifling with holy things, playing around with holy things. When it comes to our faith, to our holiness, to holy things, we can treat prayer and the Bible and worship as not that important. One of the dangers that I have and Pastor Larry and those in positions like us is, is we deal in holy things all the time. And, and if we're not careful, they can become very routine, very going through the motions, just, you know, well, let's pray, let's read the Bible, whatever. As a Christian, all of us, especially been a Christian for some time, if you were brought up here, some of you have been here since you were a baby. Some of you came when your mom's womb, even before. You had no choice. You've been here all this time. And if we're not careful, we can just kind of trifle and play. It doesn't mean what it used to mean. and It doesn't really strike us the way it ought to that God is holy. His Word is holy. Talking to God in prayer is holy. These are times where we, we sometimes are very frivolous and very trite with holy things. Samson, I think, was guilty of that. May we not be guilty of it. Secondly, I think a big takeaway from Samson's life is this. Don't play with sin. Don't play with sin. Samson seems to think that he can sin and get away with it. But he found out that he was wrong. And he found out in a very horrible way. Uh, you probably notice that sin is not treated very seriously in our our world. There are those who say there are, there is no such thing as sin. Sin is just make believe. But as believers, we better treat it seriously because it is serious. And God is very clear in His word. And sin is deadly. And Samson's playing with sin ultimately led, as we see here, to a very horrible place in his life where he dies with the Philistines. 
Another big lesson, I think, and we're almost done, is this. And this was an interesting takeaway, I think. And that is don't do life alone. Don't do life alone. It, it appears that Samson is a bit of a loner. And I relate to that because I'm a bit of a loner myself. It, it seems that, that Samson pretty much did everything on his own by himself. I got to thinking about it even last night. Even at his wedding, you remember, they gave him the wedding party. They brought these people in. And then his wife was given to his best man. And as far as I understand the passage, they provided the best man. He didn't even bring his best man with him. Being alone is a very, or can be a very dangerous place to be. Sometimes we need to be alone. Sometimes we need to be alone with God. We need to pray. We need to read the Scriptures. Sometimes we have to be alone for various reasons. But to live life totally alone can be a very dangerous place to be. God has given us other people. That's why the church is so important. You may not have a lot of people in your family anymore. You may not have those that are close to you, but you have a church family. And God has given other people to us to help us, to keep us accountable, to encourage us, because we all need that, to challenge us, and sometimes to confront us. Imagine what this would have been like if we could have read the story of Samson and he had a close, godly friend. Imagine if he had like a Jonathan, that David had Jonathan. Imagine if Samson had a close, godly friend that was with him throughout these days. Imagine how things could be different. That friend goes, hey, what's wrong with you? Hey, don't do that. Hey, hey, what about this? Hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, have you asked the Lord about that? We're to be there for one another. The Scriptures are filled with passages that refer to Christians and the church as the one another passages that we're to pray for one another, encourage one another, and so forth. It's so important that we have other people in our lives. I have to say as we finish up this series, beloved, that Samson's story, again, the hero of it is not Samson. The hero is God. And, and Samson's story is one where there is a marvelous display of the grace of God. That God took a man like Samson and still used him. Still used him for his purposes. And in reality, as I close up today with you, it's a reminder to me that our story is also a story of God's amazing grace. Blessed be the name of our God. What an appropriate song we sang just a few minutes ago. Bless the Lord, O my soul, because He's truly worthy of our blessing and honor and praise. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, thank You for Samson. Help us to take these lessons from his life and others that we've shared throughout this study and to really put them to work in our own lives. If somebody's here today and they've never received Christ as their Savior, may this be the hour. If a believer here today and maybe they're guilty of some of these things we've been talking about, may they get right about it today.
Thank you for painting the full picture from Samson's life. Thank you for your grace and mercy and using Samson and working through Samson and helping him. And thank you that the same is true for us. Take charge of this invitation, I pray, and we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open today, and we do have time. If you need to be saved, you're not sure that you're going to heaven when you die. I'm here. Pastor Larry's here. We have others in our congregation who would be glad to talk with you. Don't leave here today without knowing for certainty that's the case. Say, well, what will happen if I come down today? I want to be saved today. What will happen? Well, we'll welcome you. We'll ask you, you know, why you've come. And if you just say, I want to be saved, then we'll take a Bible and simply sit down and share with you what the Bible says and help you understand the gospel and then um, hopefully lead you in the sinner's prayer to receive Christ. Now, for others today, you're a Christian, that's already settled, but maybe God's spoken to your heart either in today's message or throughout the series about Samson. Well, I want to encourage you to come. Uh, we can pray with you. You can come pray on your own, everywhere the case might be, but the altar is open. Others here today might need to take some other steps, uh, whatever that might be in your, your journey of faith. We'd love to welcome you. But let's sing number 105 for our closing hymn. The altar is open. You come as God leads. A song called Grace Greater Than Our Sin. And praise be to God, that's the case. But let's stand together. The altar's open. You come. 105, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. My